And not only that, but man, we can get some things to happen in our lives that are, are phenomenal because we're pulling on the Spirit together. Amen? You know, you should not believe anything that I say just because I'm pastor. You should search the Scripture for yourself. Because if you only receive it because I say it, then all I'll do is touch your mind. And God never intended to touch your mind. God meant to change your spirit and renew your mind. And your mind gets renewed when you get revelation in your own personal spirit, when the Holy Ghost says, that's it. And you go, yes. Have you ever had one of those moments when you're talking to somebody about something that they're just kind of looking at you like a, uh, a cow at a new gate or a deer, you know, looking at headlights? You know, they're hearing you. They can say what you're saying, but it just hasn't registered. And then all of a sudden they go, oh, you know, it's like that comic strip, you know, the light bulb comes on. Why do they use a light bulb? Because the light came on. You were once in darkness and ignorant of what I'm saying, even though you're hearing me, but all of a sudden it made sense, right? Well, this is what you want to do. You want to come today and not just hear me and say, okay, yeah, he said this today and he said that, and this was point two, three, five, ten, whatever you know, and walk away, you know, regurgitating the message as opposed to it came alive in me. Because the Word of God is alive. I said the Word of God is alive. Once again, just because you're breathing today doesn't mean you're alive. Breathing is a false security of life. Because there's plenty of people that have never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord that are actually dead. They're separated from God. Death does not mean cease to exist. It means to be separated from God because God is life. And if you're not connected to God, then you are dead, though breathing. This is why we have an obsession with the walking dead and zombies. The world, you understand. And I'm always amazed at how strong they are once they're dead. I mean, they can leap a tall building. They don't have to eat nothing. I mean, they can be sustained forever. I mean, their bodies are all jacked up and have more muscles than we do. It's crazy. It's a lie is what it is. It's a lie. But knows nobody really wants to become one. Do you want to be a zombie? <laughs> Thought I had more amens than that. Okay, well, maybe I'm talking to some zombies today. We'll find out. But in uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 3, it says this. Jesus, again, talking to re uh, uh, religious people, people that knew the Scripture as far as a knowledge of it, but unfortunately had their own spin or interpretation of what God said. And Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you tra yourself transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And I want to start today because the thing is, is that those who consistently come to church, you always want to keep yourself in a position of faith and always growing and always saying, God, continue to reveal yourself to me and teach me. Because if you don't, you can run the risk of becoming religious, which means you'll have a lot of knowledge of God's word, but it's not being applied. And that's one of the greatest deceptions in Christianity today is that you can quote a scripture, but not actually live the scripture and you're okay. You understand, the devil can quote Scripture. So Scripture quoting does not make you more a believer. Acting on the Scripture that you know makes you more of a believer. Are you with me? 
So we have some religious people here that had the law of God personally written by God through the hand of Moses. They had it, but they had turned its interpretation to fit their lifestyle. I'm going to say that again over here. They took God's word, put their interpretation on it so it would fit their lifestyle. Instead of conforming their life to God, they conform God to their life. That's called idolatry. That's when we make God in our image instead of us being made in the image of God. Amen. Hallelujah. And we can do this if we don't watch out. Okay. The reason why I do this is because we started a, a, a series that I was super optimistic because that's me. That's who I am. I'm Mr. Optimism. You know, we can get this done in a week, even though it may take us three months. I am optimistic. All right. And so I told our, sat down with our media team and I was telling them about some sermons that I believe God wanted me to preach one on, on the biblical account of Lazarus. It is awesome. I'm telling you, it is, a, it is like mind-blowing revelation of what that account is about. And you'll get to hear it in April. I am excited about it. Okay? April 2018. You don't want to miss that service. It's awesome. Okay? Anyway, I really thought last week and this week I'd be done with this series, but unfortunately, when I was meditating on it last night, uh, I sent the message to our media team to put up here for our scripture, and I said, this, this series just got long, LOL. So what I thought would be done today, multiple subjects that I would prove evidence in, I can't get past the first initial thought process when it comes to being a believer, and that is the new birth. We won't get out of the new birth today. Because I've come to find out the new birth is a very confused existence in the church, which makes it worse for the world. And so we're going to have to stop for a moment and say, okay, what's it mean to be born again? What's it even mean? Because a lot of times we assume we know what it is. But the Bible clearly communicates what it is. And so last week we started evidence in the natural sense, meaning that we took time to show that God wants his word or who he is to become evident. That means to be seen, to manifest. And so in the natural sense, God wanted man to be able to say, wait a minute, this book has to be real because the way that we go about uh, authenticating manuscripts that are hundreds, even thousands of years old, we do it based upon how many copies we have, what kind of shape are they in, the, the reproduction of those particular documents. And we talked about this last week that, you know, the closest one, you know, is around eight, um, uh, one particular writing of, of Homer's Iliad was eight manuscripts. Uh, there was, I think, 32 manuscripts for that one. But there's another uh, general uh, uh, guy that was in the Roman or Greek army, excuse me, Greek army, that he all of his writings on military things are still used in universities today, and there's only eight copies of it. Eight. And we assign it to him as his writings and his truth. Yet this Bible has over 20,000 manuscripts. 
The New Testament alone has 5,300 word-for-word manuscripts through thousands of years passed down that authenticates this book. Not only, and I didn't even get into the archaeological confirmation of this historical book because there are cities, rivers, communities, um, um, nations that has risen and fallen that this book has documented. And there's archaeological evidence of their existence. Yet the world most of the time discredits it, doesn't look at it. Why? Because ultimately God says, I don't want you to take some person's word for it. I'll leave enough evidence to let you know that I'm real. There are family lines. People are obsessed with Ancestry.com right now, wanting to know where they're from. I was watching one of those commercials the other day, and someone found out they were Native American, didn't realize they were. But it's only 26%. So just more than a quarter, a, a, a percent, one percent more than a quarter of their whole makeup makes them an American, uh, Native American based upon their DNA, and all of a sudden now they're full-blown Native American. They're learning about their culture. Well, you're, that's only 26% of who you are in natural terms, you understand. But that's because the world's wanting to know who they are, and they really need to be identified with Christ. No problem. They just need to identify with Christ. Okay. So I have a problem with them trying to search out who they are. They just got to find that they need to find themselves in Christ. Hallelujah. But with that being said, you know, the world always looks at certain natural evidences about things, but when it comes to the scripture, they want to discredit it, though it has the greatest evidence, period. Then on top of that, we saw the, the prophecies concerning Jesus. What's so awesome about this is that Jesus' uh, uh, life on the earth was the fulfillment of over 600 prophecies written by multiple authors over thousands of years on different continents that he would come. And he fulfills them all. And we did statistics on that that I don't even have time to deal with that today. They're mind-blowing. Just to bring some of you that are first-time guests with us, for Jesus to fulfill only eight of the over, excuse me, 300 prophecies that are written about him in the Old Testament, for him just as one person to fulfill eight, the probability of that taking place according to the science of probability is... The amount of, of silver dollars that you would stack on top of each other, side by side and on top of each other, that would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. That's how many silver dollars, just for him to do eight. And you take one of those silver dollars and mark it in such a way that it's different than the rest. Then you take a guy blindfold him, fly him around in a helicopter all over the state till they say stop, lower them down, and they reach their hand into that silver dollar pile and pull out the one silver dollar marked. That's just eight, and he fulfilled over 300. God wanted to leave the world with no doubt that Jesus came. Amen. But because we want to be gods unto ourselves, we discredit all this. We don't even want to study this. We don't even want to go after this kind of. This is why certain nations are shut down for archaeological uh, findings. People think they know where the, um, the ark um, that Noah built is, but that nation won't even let you go to it. 
They won't even let you on it. None. They've shut down certain places like the Red Sea. Somebody came out with a document one time uh, in a VHS where somebody actually dived the Red Sea and have found chariot wheels in the bottom. But again, this isn't common knowledge. We don't have a common... Why? Because it, it, it verifies this in the natural. Sure, the enemy doesn't want you to know because he wants to keep you blinded so that you won't trust in God. Are you with me? But we need to understand this, that natural in and of itself isn't alone. God wants to make evidence things that are unseen. Let's look at this in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, let me show you this. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of, for in, for in it, the righteousness of God is what? Revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is what? Revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is what? What is it? Evident within them. For God made it evident evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his what? Invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been what? Clearly seen, being what? Understood through what has been made so that they are what? Without excuse. I'm going to elaborate a little bit more in a moment. So here, there's a few things I want us to see. In John chapter 6, verse 15, the Bible clearly communicates that Jesus Christ is the king. Jesus himself tells the governor, Pilate, he says, uh, you say correctly that I'm a king for this reason, I was born. Israel is waiting for the Messiah. They know that the king's coming. It's been prophesied about this king. Isaiah prophesied about this king in nine, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, a child will be born, a son will be given. Who is that? What's his name? This is Jesus. And it says, and the government shall rest on his shoulders. Not religion, but government. Shall rest on his shoulder, and we'll call him wonderful. Counselor, eternal father, prince of peace. And it says, and there'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David. He will accomplish this. Amen. So we see here that they're expecting Jesus to manifest. Daniel had, had seen a um, vision of, of an idol where they were, um, uh, it was a, a, an idol in the Babylonian empire where there was gold and then it went to silver and then it kept going down to uh, bronze, I believe, and then it ends up getting iron and then the feet are the iron and the clay. And then all of a sudden a rock made without hands. Yeah. Who is that rock made without hands? Jesus. It strikes the foot of this idol and absolutely causes every other form of government to dissipate. It turns into dust. And then this rock made without hands turns into a mountain that eventually takes over the whole planet. Are you with me? That's a type and shadow of the millennial reign of Christ. One day he'll come and put his foot back down. And he'll rule as the king on a seat with a scepter of righteousness. Hallelujah. Glory to God. This is who he is. 
And so Israel's waiting for the Messiah to come. They're not looking for a suffering servant. They have no concept of the fact that God's going to redeem all humanity. They know that here comes a king out of the line of Judah that's going to establish his throne and cause Israel to be dominant on a global scale, and that's who they're looking for. And when Jesus shows up, it says, so Jesus perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him what? King. Is Jesus a king? Yes. yes, he's the king of and the Lord of. Hallelujah. He's the king eternal. But notice, God says, man can't interpret how I get to the throne. See, the problem is man wants to interpret God's move themselves, and he said, I will not leave it alone for man to interpret. If we go into, into Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll see that it says about the Scripture and that it's profitable for us to learn and grow, that it's inspired by the Holy Ghost. Then when we get over into 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 20, it says, But know, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Verse 22, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men move how? By the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So God never said, the minute I give man access to the kingdom again and put my spirit back in humanity, will I leave, it in a, will I leave them alone without a system called checks and balance? That's why we have the written word of God. Because the document lets us know exactly what the spirit would say. Because our minds are so jacked up running from God, our brains and our thinking is so different. That's why Jesus, when he came, said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word repent is not a religious word. It literally means change your thinking. So what he's saying is, is you can't operate in this kingdom that I'm from until you change the way you think. Because the way you've been thinking has been under a different rule. You had another dad. And I'm trying to get you away from that domain and get you into mine. That's why Colossians says that when we become born again, we are transferred from the domain, that's the authority and power of darkness, into the kingdom of his beloved son. Hallelujah. And when do you get transferred? The day you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He makes you a new creature in Christ Jesus. You come up out of the old and you get into the new. Hallelujah. It's a confession of faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. It's not our own personal works. It's his work that we confess, but then we become made like him. And he didn't leave it alone for us to determine what that looks like. He left nothing to chance so that we could say, I'm a believer. Are you? What's the evidence? What we'll see here is that there's evidence in everything. Now, let's go back to Romans. Because right now, based upon this word right here in, in Peter, it lets us know that God has to reveal these things to you. That it's not of my interpretation. That I must reveal it to you by the Spirit and it has to bear witness with your spirit by the Holy Ghost that it's so. That's why the Bible says, let everything be confirmed by two or three 
And why do we do this? So we say, this is what God said. It's not my personal opinion on the matter, but it's what my king says concerning this. You know, my king has a lot to say about what a person that's born again looks like. He has a lot. In fact, we've even said this. Y'all know this scripture, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the, was who? The word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Now, ultimately, if we go to the 14th verse of that same chapter, we know the word became what? Flesh. That means the word got inside an earth suit. And his name is? Okay. Now, what does this tell us? If God is the word and he was before anything was created, then he has the right to define every word. We don't have a right to try to put God in our world. We don't get to define what Christianity looks like. We don't get to define the life of a believer. He does. I said he does. And not only does he define it, but he makes it evident so that everyone can clearly see that's what a believer looks like. Are you with me? Now, let's go back to this Romans. Romans chapter uh, 1, verse 16 through 20. Let me read it again because I'm going to expound a little bit here. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then, for, it is by, for, it, for in it, the righteousness of God is what? Revealed. The righteousness of God is what? Revealed. Righteousness is not a religious word. It literally means right standing with the governing authority. It means God's way of doing it. That's what that means. So there's a way that God does it, and then there's a way that you do it. Now, God coins the phrase of what you do, and it looks like it's called unrighteousness. I'll give you a quick example of this. All of us can leave today, go out on old Moultrie, okay, right here, and we can take a right because it's a nightmare to try to go left. But anyway, go right. And when you do, there's going to be a speed limit sign that I think is 40 miles an hour. I'm assuming I think it's 40. That means that the governing authority, in order for you to stay in right standing with St. John's County sheriffs, is that you are to do 40. Yet you can do 45, and they won't stop you until you do it and stop you. Right? Because all of us have this built-in thought that they'll give you five miles over, like the law gives you the grace of five miles. It's not true at all. That's a deception, a false reality, that just because you go 45 and a 40 that you're okay, but you're not. And you will complain if the officer stops you at 41. Though technically, according to law, you've broken it. Oh, you don't want to hear this. And we will argue our case. Are you serious? I clocked you at 41. You stopped me for 41. Speed limit is 40. Bottom line, bro, you have broken the law and are punishable. Period. So, for, it, for in it, the righteousness of God is what? Revealed from faith to faith. So, how does God reveal himself to the world? It's by us believing God at his word. When we believe him at his word and walk in that word, then guess what? We reveal God. We reveal how God calls, but the righteous man shall live how? So, our life should be a perpetual evidence 
of the existence of God. Yes. Now, we can say that, but do we have the evidence of that? All right, let's go on. Verse 18 uh, then goes and says this, for the wrath of God. Now, we don't like to preach on this because everybody just wants to preach on the love of God. Well, God's love has a wrath. That means God in love gets angry. I get an amen over here. Help me out, Raphael. God's love can get angry. And that's just as much God's love as anyone else. That's what we don't understand about God's love. God loves us so much that he will not tolerate sin. Period. And it says, for the wrath of God. He says, James, the writer says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to. But that doesn't mean we can't get to wrath. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. Don't just react in the flesh. Wait till you hear what God says. And if wrath needs to come, it can come. God produced wrath. Even in the New Testament. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> but he's slow. But when it shows up, it's on. And it's love. Because God makes it clear, this is what's acceptable and this is not. So that we're not clouded. Hallelujah. Okay, let's go on. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. How do they suppress the truth? They hear God's way of doing it. They don't accept it, so they offer another way. Jesus Christ is the only way. Well, he's not the only way. How could all those other religions and all these people who pray be wrong? That's a stupid argument, just to be honest with you. That is a crazy argument. Well, they could all be wrong. Just because the majority says or more people are thinking in one thought doesn't mean that that's right. In fact, I would submit to you, most of the world will think wrong because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so they're always going to be thinking in line that's different than God's way. So they suppress it. They say, oh, you, that's silly. This is, it, this, what about this? And how about this? And then they give, you know, little stuff. Like, well, you know, okay, if Jesus is the only way, what about, what about people on islands in the Pacific that no missionary has gone to? Well, first of all, what evidence do you have that they've never been one? These are hypotheticals. Well, let's just read the scripture, though. Verse 19. Because that which is known about God is within who? The ones of the verse previous. And that's the unrighteous. Do you know ungodly people, people that separated from God, know there is a God? For God made it evident to who? To the unrighteous. To the ungodly. How? Verse 20 tells us how he did this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been what? Have been what? What are they? Clearly seeing being, how are they being understood through what? Through what has been? A person on an island in the middle of the Pacific has enough evidence with the island itself. To know God exists. 
then I'll submit this to you. If that person that's on that island that knows that God exists begins to cry out to that God and says, how do I get to know you? Then that God has a way to do what he did with Cornelius, who was a lost, unrighteous guy, destined for wrath because he was a son of the devil, but was seeking God on what to do. And he says, and an angel showed up. An angel showed up to a lost man's house. A guy that had no covenant with God, an angel showed up and says, go send for Peter because that man's going to come and preach the way. So he sends his servants to go to Joppa, to, to, to a tanner's house, Simon the Tanner, to go grab Peter who was having a, 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 a vision on top of the roof. And he goes with him and preaches Jesus. And Cornelius gets saved. I would submit to you, God has a greater capacity to be able to grab somebody and take them to that island and put them there more so than you could argue away that no one can get there. That you have no evidence even exists in the first place to make an excuse for you not to accept Christ. Amen. Amen. So God's creation has made him evident. Clearly seen. They're without excuse. They won't be able to stand before him and say, we just didn't know nothing about you. No one has that argument. For the judge, he is a judge, you know. The judge is righteous, and they'll stand before him righteously. He'll stand before them righteously, being able to say, I gave you enough evidence. Without a doubt, there's no excuse for you. What's it say? So they are what? So they are what? See, we want to give them an excuse. So that's our interpretation. But the Bible says they don't have one. Why are you trying to give people on an island in the Pacific an excuse? I'll tell you why. Because you want one. Because you want one. Because there's something you hold on to that's not an evidence of the believer. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, let's go on. Evidence means there's something that shows that something else exists or is true. Listen, you got to understand, God, the creator, think of this whole concept. He is the creator of heaven and the earth. He has the right to judge humanity, to the one who has the final say, to either say, enter into your rest, well done, thy good and faithful servant, or depart from me, for I never knew you, though you had capacity to know me yet didn't want me. And he can do it. Do you understand? Someone with that kind of power does not use that flippantly. And again, what do we do? We want to put in our humanity, our experience, to try to put God in our world instead of us trying to get into his. We do self-justification when the Bible won't allow you to self-justify. Are you with me? Amen. Evidence means something that furnishes proof. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ will have a locked-down case at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. That's all who've confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord, and he judges them according to their life after being born again. And at the great white throne judgment, where he'll 
cast them into the lake of fire because their name is not written into the Lamb's book of life. And he will be just and in love doing all of it because God is love. He'll do it. And you'll have no argument, none. His case is airtight. But if we don't watch out as believers, we want to create a realm of reasonable doubt. The world doesn't have a reasonable doubt. The world is in direct rebellion. They're without excuse. Do you know the world has a... Unfortunately, the world sometimes, that means those that are separated from God, have a better concept of God than we do. I can't tell you how many times I've been around someone and I said, man, you need to make Jesus Lord. I know, I know, but I'm not ready to give up. Because they know, how can I do what I'm doing and bring it in to Christ. I had one guy, I'll never forget, I was in Stark, Florida, youth pastoring there. And me and this other guy, we were doing some worship, writing some different things one night. And I mean, it was like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, we were in the church. And all of a sudden, a guy staggered into the church drunk. He was drunk as we supposed and smelled like it. Well, for me and this guy, we were like, boom, opportunity. So I made coffee and man, I can make some coffee. And I can make it strong. I can make it punch you in the backside of your throat, get up into your brain, clear you out like that. And then you'll be on a caffeine high for at least three days. I can bring it. No sugar and cream needed. I can bring the rain. You understand what I'm saying? So with that being said, I made the pot stout, started filtering. Man, and that guy within an hour and a half, two hours was sobering up. And we're preaching Jesus, man. We're talking to him. Get your life. Be different. Da-da-da. You know, I mean, just compelling evidence time and time again. Probably about 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the morning, where he was completely in his right mind, he looked at me and said, Pastor Earl, I can't accept Jesus because I'm not willing to let go and I would much rather be a sinner than be a hypocrite. I'll never forget that. He knows the life I'm living is directly opposed. And this guy ain't in church. This guy's not studying the Bible. There's enough evidence for him to know I can't keep living like this and call myself a believer. So I'd rather be known as a sinner than a hypocrite. <sighs> now, that means we as a church, we don't want to be hypocrites. And you know what the good news is? God's given us enough evidence so that we won't be hypocritical. So that we can clearly see how we're supposed to live. And we don't take words for it just because someone says it. We take it because the word says it. I said the word says it. Amen. What, what happened to the lost art of preaching the Bible? Right. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let the scripture interpret itself, right? Yeah. Now, this word evident literally in the, in, in the Greek, in Romans, means this, apparent, manifest. It means evident, known. It means to plainly recognize. So again, God's not trying to hide something from the world. He's trying to reveal something to the world, not only to the world that needs him, but to believers to stay connected to him and to walk in righteousness. Do you understand walking in righteousness is not a, a place of ambiguity? 
It's not this place of, well, I, well, I, I don't know if I'm right. No, you know. You know. But we like to create these environments of, well, I'm not really sure. Well, are they born again? You know what? I really don't know. You don't know? Well, they're nice. You know, they're, you know what? I was hanging out there. They're good people. Are they good people? Because Jesus was real clear that there's good trees that bear good fruit and bad trees bear bad fruit. Now, you understand, we have these words again that we want to associate like bad. Man, that's bad. Seth, that's one bad cup right there, bro. That's bad. Now, what's bad in that context? That's, that's gooder than good. Because that's a good cup, but then it's a bad cup. Now, a bad cup is not a bad cup. It's a good cup better than a good cup. Are you following me? Man, you're sick, bro. You're sick. That doesn't mean you have cancer. That means that thing you did was awesome, it's great. Yeah, we call it sick, right? Things like that, all these kind of little sayings that we pick up all the time that we utilize, why? To create an environment for us. Yeah, God's saying, I need you to take my interpretation that I'm delivering by the Spirit, not by man, because I'm clearly going to make myself seen. I want them to know. Because there's a lot of nice people that are wicked. And let me tell you something, just to let you know, you know how the world kind of gets on us and says, well, can you prove that? Can you prove that? Don't let them suck you into that lie. Because even the world isn't stuck on natural belief. In Las Vegas, the last count I heard was 59 had passed away. 20,000 people were fired upon. We know who did it. We know what they used as weapons. We know who he shot. We know who has died. We know who were still in critical condition. We have every now, we know where he shot from. We know what time. We know the duration. Case closed. But why are they still working the case? Because they're looking for the unseen. What are they looking for? Motive. The ones that have lost the family can't live with the fact they know who killed their, per their, their family member. They're ate up by an unknown called why. And they seek what's unseen. Oh, well, prove me that's right. No, you really want the unseen anyway. The world wants the motive now. Why? And they're so distressed over this thing. There's no reason. You know what? The brother, I don't know what happened. He's such a good guy. How can he be good? How can he be good? But yet we loosely use this. You'd call some of your coworkers good, and they're evil people. They have the same capacity to do what this guy did. They just not acted on it. Because the same spirit that influences them influenced him. They're still on that side. They're still in darkness. And we call them good. No, there's a lot of nice, evil people. Guys do not get little girls in their vans by being evil. They're nice. 
And most of them, what they say? I'm shocked. You know, they kept to themselves. They were quiet, but you know, they're a really good guy. And this is what we're doing in the church. Well, you know, someone's come to church. He's a good guy. Is he? What's the evidence that tells me he's good? Well, he went down to the altar and asked God to come into his heart and save him. Well, is that the evidence? Is that what the scripture supports concerning the new birth? Well, let's look at this a moment. Because John 3, 3 says this. Jesus answered and said to him, talking to a religious guy, are y'all following me? I'm going to preach this Bible, man. I'm going to preach this Bible. Because if you came to seek truth, you've come to the right place. If you come to be entertained, you've come to the wrong place. Because I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to bring it to you so that you can be crystal clear when you walk out and say, man, I know my God, and I know what he expects, and I know how to live, and I know what's not living. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is the only time you'll see in the four gospels that Jesus ever preached about being born again. He never did this publicly. Never. Yet the church, that's all they do publicly. When they should be preaching about the kingdom, and the only way you get into kingdom is you got to be born again. Now, born again just means you can't be living the way you're living. There's another birth, but there's a better trans way to translate this. It's called born from above. That's literal. So when he says, unless a man is born from above... He cannot enter the kingdom of, he- of God. That means you've got to literally become a whole nother person. Are you with me? Jesus is talking to a religious guy that was afraid to talk to him in public about it and had to show up about two to three o'clock in the morning to have this conversation with Jesus because he liked the applause of men more than he did who Jesus was at this time. Jesus goes on into verse 6, and he says this now. Look what Jesus says. That which is what? Born of the flesh is. And that which is born of the is. Now, that is two different births. This is why we say you must be born again. It's the second birth. The first birth is when your mother gave birth to you out of the womb. And what did Nicodemus say? He said, unless a man's born again, he shall not enter the kingdom, uh, won't see the kingdom of God. He says, now how can I be full grown and enter back into my mother's womb? So he says, now that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which first came by the natural is that, but there's another birth. And the first birth doesn't get you into the kingdom. It's the second one. The first birth is the, is the birth of the flesh is flesh, which means you follow the flesh. The second birth is that you were born by the Spirit and that you would follow the Spirit. Now, I got the scripture here, Galatians 6, 8. Didn't have this in first service. I quoted it, but I have it specifically. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8, look what it says here. Powerful. It says, that which sows to the flesh... Are you with me? For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the reap. What do you reap? Another translation says destruction. And we wonder why people's lives are falling apart. 
Because there's an evidence that if you live according to the flesh, guess what you attract? Come on, help me out. This answers a lot of questions, guys. People are throwing God in this hat like, well, you know, they, they go to church all the time. And, you know, how come these bad things are happening to their lives? Well, are they given evidence of a believer? Just because you come to church don't mean jack. I'm going to show you in a minute. Just because you pray a prayer doesn't mean jack unless you follow through with that prayer. And it actually took hold. Means you actually meant it when you said it. Jesus himself says, they confess me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I guarantee you their life doesn't give evidence of what a born from above person is to be like. Yeah, we'll say, yeah, oh, that's so-and-so goes to church. Yeah, they've been going to church forever. Parents, you need to watch out because just because you bring your child, there's evidence to determine whether your child really is functioning as a child of God. There's another youth pastor in town was talking to our youth pastor and said, man, if I got up and told parents at our church what their kids were doing they would fall apart <sighs> all right let's go on but the one who sows to the spirit will from the reap these are two different lifestyles Tells it if, if flesh reaps flesh and it's corruption or destruction, then the evidence of living fleshly is your life falls apart. I'm not talking trials and tribulations that you get victory in. I'm talking about you're in constant crisis. But they go to church all the time. They go to church all the time. They go to church all the time. Are they living what the Bible says they should live? Are they practicing it? Because the one who sows to the Spirit, guess what they reap? Life. That means in the midst of conflict, they'll come out ahead. Yes. And during the conflict, they will actually demonstrate spiritual things. Because they will demonstrate what a believer looks like in conflict. James... Now, when you enter into various trials, James 1, right? What are you doing if you are a born from above child of God? Consider it all. That's a lifestyle. That's an evidence. Because if joy's not there, that's a problem. And this is why you're given excuse for people in islands in the Pacific. <laughs> I know your humanity's there. I know that you're having to work out your salvation with fear and trembling and the renewing of your mind. But the reality is you should be progressing and moving forward. Amen. All right, let's go on. So then we see then Jesus him says that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So is there anything in the word that lets us know what the flesh looks like and what the spirit looks like? Sure. Galatians chapter five. Now, let me just say it this way so I can kill this argument. 
for anyone that may have it. That way you can just go ahead and take this tradition and throw it out the window because it sounds very theological, but the, the reality is it's bunk. I've seen many books written concerning things, you know, especially in the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, where people argue, you know, should we take Jesus's word for it or should we take Paul's? Well, that's silly. You know why that's silly? Because Jesus didn't write anything himself as far as it's his book. The whole book is Jesus. But notice it's not the book of Jesus. It's always the book of somebody. Matthew wrote the words that Jesus said. Mark wrote the words that Jesus said. Luke wrote the words that Jesus said. Are you getting it? John wrote the words that Jesus said. Paul wrote the words that the Holy Ghost said that Jesus said was to your advantage that he comes because he's just like me. So how is Paul's words less than Jesus's? When the Holy Spirit and Jesus are the same because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. So it's kind of silly to act like the four gospels have more weight than the rest of the Bible. Because no man penned this thing without the Holy Ghost anyway. Mark didn't write the words of Jesus without the Holy Ghost reminding him of the words that Jesus had. So your red letters are not more powerful than the black. So when Paul writing to the church, it has just as much authority as Mark writing what Jesus said when he was walking on the planet. So Paul says, now the deeds of the flesh are, what are they? They're clearly seen. They're made visible. See, this is why God gave us the word. Because you can't run up here and say, hey, Pastor Earl, you know, I go to church, you know, and I love Jesus, you know, I ask God to come to my heart and save me, you know, I'm right with God. Yet if you're living this, who am I supposed to believe? The inspired word of God or your testimony that doesn't line up with this scripture? If anything, I would have to conclude you are so backslidden that you need to take an evaluation in your spirit and repent and get back in alignment. Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Paul answers the question by the Holy Ghost. May it never... Okay. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality... I'm going to read for you guys out of the message here in a minute. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, uh, disputes, dissensions, factions, uh, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have for, uh, uh, as I have for, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice, that what? practice such things will, will what? Will what? Not inherit the kingdom of God. What does practice? This is what they do. If you do these things Monday through Saturday, but show up here on Sunday and tell me you're a believer because at eight years old, you gave your heart to God, I'm struggling. You're asking me to believe you over scripture. 
Because the Bible clearly defines what the born from above person acts like. This is why John the Baptist talked to the religious people of his day. And he says, keep a lifestyle in, uh, have a lifestyle in keeping with repentance. If you're telling me you've come to the door and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and asked him to forgive you of all your sin and transgression and now you are a new creature in Christ that has the ability to hear God by the Spirit, then you ought to be walking that out, not letting that cover your multitude of sin. And tell me you're a believer and okay. Don't judge me. Flesh. 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 Don't mistake God's mercy for it's okay. Mercy is just trying to prolong the buildup of wrath. Okay, change. Okay, stop. Don't do it anymore. You got to adjust. Okay, tell them that's not right. Okay, communicate. This is not evidence. This isn't the evidence. Tell them this. Go by and talk to them. Say something to them. Don't do it. If they continue, they're going to reap. I can't violate the law. The law is you sow to the flesh, you'll reap of the flesh destruction. Get them off the path. Tell them how to get back in the spirit. Show them how to repent. Get them to change their thinking. Get them to get off that path. Tell them to stop that. Tell them to quit doing that. That's not the evidence. Don't judge me. I asked Jesus Christ in my heart when I was younger. Don't talk to me. You judging me. Bible says don't judge. Does it? Does it? Does it now? Sure, it does to the world. What do I have to do with them? But it has a lot different thing to say about inside the house. But if you would actually read the Bible, you'd see that. And I'm not judging you. I'm trying to keep you from dying. There's a reason why we tell our kids not to play in the street. It's not to control their lives. There's a reason why we tell them don't touch the stove. It's hot. The stove's hot, and I need you to know, psst, don't ever touch it again. Y'all got a problem with that? It's amazing how many believers say, well, the Lord put this sickness on me. He's trying to teach me something. Really? I think he's better in instruction. Don't even get close. Don't even think about it. Don't touch it. Don't walk by it. Don't get around it. You're getting too close. Hey, don't touch it. But you do what you want to do. And then you're going to touch it. God was trying to teach me. I think he put this in my life. Liar. You are a liar right now. You are lying about my daddy. Because you don't know the evidence of being born again. Because you want people in the Pacific Island to have an excuse. <laughs> okay. So, let me read this in the message. It says it this way. It is obvious. I love that word. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of you trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage frenzied, and joy, joy, joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, 
paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you. You know, if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. College students won't show up on Sunday, but they at the club on Saturday. People come to church fornicating, saying they love God, laying their hands, worshiping them, but they're living things of the flesh. And they're telling me they're right. You arguing with people at work? You hate our president. You hate your employer. You hate your manager. You hate your spouse. And you're praying God would fix her when he can't get to you. But you're right with God. It's evident. Yeah. Amen. Let's go on. Galatians 5. Let's get into what the Spirit looks like then. The fruits of the Spirit are. Go back to the uh, New America. Here it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Joy. Peace. No, just those three right there, man. We could stop. I could preach for the next 10 weeks right now. Because love's not what's love got to do with it definition. No, it's the love of God, agape. It's a different type of love altogether. And love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but love also doesn't take into account of suffering. Pastor, you just don't know what my husband done to me, and I tell you, let me tell you what these people have done to me and how they've done that. Really, apparently you need to forgive them. This ain't about me. Joy. Pastor, I'm just so depressed. My life's this. Where's the Holy Ghost in your life then? Don't judge me. You don't know what the problems I have, how stressful life is, what's going on. You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't understand about my kids. You don't understand about my job. You don't understand what I'm about to do. I understand all that. I understand. Trust me, I understand. Not only do I understand, I may not be in your exact situation, but I understand this, that God gives joy to those who need joy in times of mourning, and the joy of the Lord is your... So in essence, the evidence of your life is you are weak, and you need what I'm telling you. Pray in the Holy Ghost for a while to build yourself up in your most holy space so you can start laughing. This isn't funny, Pastor. I didn't say it was, but you can laugh yourself out of it. You can get in the joy of the Holy Ghost because that's how believers overcome. They laugh at their enemy. Ha, 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 okay, ha. God, you're bigger than this. See, the world should see us go through conflict totally different. You sure are handling this well. Yes, because I have something in me that's bigger. You want to know my motive? You want to know what motivates me? You know how I can turn the other cheek? You know how I can forgive them? You know how I can buy them lunch even though they just cuss me out? I tell you. Wow, you must be different. 
It's evident, isn't it? I mean, how do you explain? I'm born again. What's that mean? Well, the in, see, inside here, it's a whole nother person. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like this, but now I'm like this. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> right? I mean, you're already an idiot. You know, like, this guy is stupid. Stay away from him, right? But when you start modeling these things, love, joy, peace, pain, guess what? This unseen becomes visible. See, we are attaching everything about Las Vegas on a motive. The visible was a motive, something from the unseen that got into his mind that caused him to create this whole catastrophe. And the world is saying, give me the motive behind your actions, believer. You see, the motive, why did you do that? Your love manifested. Your peace just showed up at work. Your patience in that situation, just my gosh, when patience should have been done, you're still patient. You're still kind. Your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, your self-control. Against such there is no law. The next verse says this. Look at this. It says, now those who belong to Christ have what? Crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also what? Walk by the Spirit. So what should we do? Believers should crucify fleshly living. You should recognize, you don't own me. I mean, you had all these friends, now you get born again, they're like, hey, let's go to the club this weekend. No. What's wrong with you? What changed? I'm right. Oh, that's a pass. Add a pass. And then you don't grow in God, and it does pass. And then you're telling them, well, the difference between me and you, while you're out on the club dancing, the problem is, is that I asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me. So when I die, I go to heaven. You know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace like you. That's all I am. But the problem is, if I died right now because someone came in a club and shot all of us up, you go to hell and I go to heaven. And they're like, what? Right? No, they should be going, where's so-and-so? They ain't been here in months. I mean, their whole life's changed. You understand that? There's something different about them. I'm tired of getting drunk every night. I need to stop doing this stupid stuff. I mean, they changed. They used to dance with us, and now they don't. That's my, that's my, um, my dancing interpretation of Pastor Angie. That's how she dances. Pastor Ann's the only one who can pop and lock in the church that I know of right now. So she's pretty good, actually. All right. Can y'all endure just a little bit longer? I love you. I love you so much, man. <sighs> because I want it to become evident. I want everybody to say, those people go to Anchor Faith Church, they're different. Their life's evidently different. They ain't watered this thing down. They don't run with the same things. And we're not going and saying, you, in the club, you're going to hell. We don't do that. We don't judge them. We just have a lifestyle in front of them because there's plenty of our friends uh, or acquaintances that we have at work that we just need to model a life so it becomes very evident. Yes. Not being hypocritical. All right, John, 1 John chapter 2. Let's run through these real fast. <clears throat> you getting something out of this today? Because again, don't be delusional. These things are going to set you up. Don't 
don't expect that you're something when you're, if your life isn't evident that it is. And then we're going to see some warnings here. He said, my little children. So again, John's talking to believers. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to believers. He said, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the perpetuation for our sins. And only, not only ours only, but also those of the whole world. So in essence, he's saying Jesus has paid a price for all sin. If you find yourself blowing it, you just repent. Because again, this is the second chapter of 1 John, that in context, since there is a first chapter, and in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now again, in context, in context, that is not the world, that's believers. Because in context, the only sin that keeps the world out of the kingdom is denouncing the lordship of Jesus. Because no one, seriously, could you confess every sin you've ever done the, after the, since the first time you committed one? Father, I mean, it's like that, you know. <laughs> I mean, we, we are imagining that the whole world does the confession of the Goonies. <laughs> right? Tell everything. Everything? Everything. Okay, when I was in the third grade... Nobody comes down and does that. And I was two years old. I told my mom that I hated her. And, mom, I, and then when I was uh, three years old and in six months, I pooped in my, in my panties and I told mom that it was the dogs. And then when I was five years old, who does that? No, we can't remember that. We can't remember every sin. But when you're a believer, you have someone inside you that says, whoa, hold on. You're getting angry. Now you go ahead and blow off right now. That's an outburst of anger and that ain't right. You want to stop. Don't talk to me right now. I am, man, I'm having a moment here. Holy, God, I'm having a moment here. Did you hear what she said to me? I, I am going, man, I'm a butt, man. And the Holy Ghost saying, now look, don't do it. I'm going to tell her what she is. I'm going to tell her about her. She's going to get a piece of my mind. You keep your mind to yourself. And he's talking the whole time. But then all of a sudden, you give it to him. Then the Holy Ghost says, now how you feel? I feel like garbage. Well, you should because you're freaking nature. You're not supposed to do that in the first place. You know that. That's why I warned you in the first place. Now you got guilt associated. Before, I was stopping it because, hey, everybody gets tempted. Your Lord was tempted on all accounts, but he held back. He listened to me when I talked to him, and you didn't. Now you have to repent to your father and tell him, Lord, forgive me for telling her off and getting mad. Now you got to go repent to her and say, please forgive me for telling you off and telling you what I thought about you when I should have said you're a woman of God and call those things that be not as though they were. <laughs> right? That's what he means by sins. If we blow like that, we do this. Now let's get to the next verse. By this we know that we've come to know him. How do we know this? Not because Jesus died, not because he's the perpetuation of our sin. By this we know that we've come to know him, comma. How do we know that we've come to know him? Because we've been known by Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, and then Jesus at some point sent the Spirit and says, come. To me, come to me. He called us. He knew us before we knew him. No man goes after God, no, not one. But he says, Come. 
So he knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows, knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He knew you. And now he wants you to come to know him. So once you answer the call and come through the door and get born from above, then you are to get to know him. And how do you know that you've come to know him? If you keep his commandments. Not commandment. Ask him to come to your heart and save you. Now you're good. By this, we know that we've come to know him if we just ask Jesus to come to heart and save us. Doesn't say that. No, it's that now we walk out obeying his word and let, being led by the spirit. Let's go on, verse four. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandment is a, but I love her. Are you married? No, but God knows in our heart we are. You're a fornicator. You're a liar. Well, I should have never married her in the first place. And I love this one better. And God knows that. You're an adulterer. You're a liar. Well, God knows my heart. You bet he does. You can't give me your little saying and it be contrary to the evidence. I'm quitting. Well, did you put in your two weeks? I mean, did you do it right? No, man, they don't deserve me. Mm. Okay. But God knows my heart. No, no. That wasn't a God example. Because I know a guy that was being trying to be killed by his employer, and he stayed hooked up with him. His name was King, so King David. Are you with me? <laughs> okay. Okay. Says he's a liar, is a liar, and the truth's not in him. Verse 4, 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. Now, again, we said this last week, perfect and mature, two different words. So please you quit using, well, ain't nobody going to be perfect. That's silly. That just keeps you in your flesh. That's you just honestly trying to say, I can't be perfect. God never asked you to be perfect. He asked you to mature. Right. And being mature means that you may fail sometimes, but the majority of the times you actually do it right. Okay? By this we know that we are in him. How? Why? Because we keep his word. Last verse, verse 6, says this. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same way he walked. How can you live in the flesh and act like you're a child of God? Well, you know, it's just his grace. No, his grace will stop you from sinning. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 4, says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Practice means they do. This is what 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 they do. Every time I get in a sin, well, you know, my whole family, we just have a bad temper. That's just what we do. No, you're practicing lawlessness because God's giving you self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. And that's what the new believer is supposed to do. Verse 5. For you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him, in Christ, there is no sin. So Christ doesn't sin, right? Verse 6. No one who abides in him sins. So, no, no sin in God, and we have been made in the righteousness of God in Christ, and we are to abide in him. Now, the key word is no one who abides. How do you abide? You abide by staying in the word, by staying connected to the spirit, by doing what God says, being led by the spirit. You abide in him. You stay in the word. You live by faith. You study the word. You act on that word. You do that word. In him, there's no sin. So if you are actually connected to God and seriously are trying to live this word, then you will not sin. Right. 
Oh, pastor, there's no way everybody sins. I'm telling you, you can go days, weeks, months without sinning. Every once in a while, yeah, you may stumble and fall, but the majority of your life is perfect peace. You're in complete self-control. The joy of God is there. Kindness exudes from you. In the worst circumstances, you stand. And when you've done all to stand, you stand. You give evidence of the child of God in a perverse and wicked world. You cannot tell me and make an excuse for habitually sinning when God says, the, no one who abides in him sins. That tells me God has given us the capacity to live sinless. Now, don't confuse temptation with sin. You may be tempted every time you go to work to look at that girl, to look at that guy, to steal that money, to cuss that person out, but you never act on it. You give evidence to the kingdom of God. So you want me to take your doctrine? Well, we all sin. No one. Say that again. No say it again. No say it again. No Who abides in him sins. That's good news for us. That means, man, we don't have to sin. Woo! I don't have to sow to the flesh. I don't have to reap destruction. I can be delivered from it all. Praise God. I can live away from death. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Next verse. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices sin is, or practice righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So we are to do his word. But then verse 8 tells us this. The one who practices sin is of the devil. You want to tell me you're right with God, but you live like the world? I would have to question whether or not he's really Lord of your life. And you want me to believe you because you say it. You should not believe that I am right with God because I say it. My life should model it. And give evidence. Now, that guy doesn't do it like the world. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. What? To destroy the works of the devil. That means he can't have a hold on you anymore. Verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin. That's what it says. The Bible says. Most of us don't even have this revelation that we can wake up and not. I just can't help it. Yes, you can. Look at your name and say, yes, you can. And if you say the devil made me do it, that is a terrible indictment that he still controls you that you haven't rose to your place of dominion and authority to say, devil, you don't own me. You don't make me do nothing. You can bring the worst person by me and I'll be the love of God in front of them. Because he is born of God. Look at verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are what? You cannot say because you came down and asked Jesus to come to your heart and save you, yet you still live like the world, process through the world, the world, uh, think like the world, act like the world, respond to every situation like the world, that you're a child of God. No, it's obvious that you made a confession with your mouth, but your heart's far from you. Because people who really have this, they begin to really move forward. And I could give testimonies of people right now in this congregation that are moving forward. I see it in the trials and tribulations they're in. I can hear it in their talk. I can see it in their walk. 
that they're actually modeling the spirit and not the things of the flesh. Anyone who does not practice righteousness and not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother, the last verse is this, for this is the message which you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. I just want you to know it's evident today what it means to be born from above. You know, in the beginning of being a child of God, you're a babe in Christ, and you're going to make more mistakes than others that have grown. If you've been in church four, five, ten years, you should be so self-controlled. <laughs> oh, my, the fruits of the Spirit should exude from your life. You should have moved to a place of maturity that the whole world looks at you. You don't hold a grudge. You're quick to forgive. My gosh, man, you look so much like Jesus to the world. People are drawn to your light or repelled, one or the other. They're convicted of their own sin when they get around you or they come to you for direction all the time because you live it consistently right. But if you don't look like that, you need to question, am I right with God? Have I deceived myself? that just because I asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me, I'm okay. I'd conclude to you today, one or two things happened. One, you made a confession, the heart was far from it, and you actually aren't born again. You just become religious. Or number two, you have backslidden so bad and hardened your heart that you justify a life of the flesh and say, well, at least his blood covers me. But I'm telling you, God's looking for the children of God that make the fruits of the Spirit evident. That's the evidence of a child of God. And if you're not there yet, you should aspire to want to be. Then anytime you don't handle a situation like God, you should say, God, forgive me. Help me to do better. There's, this is unacceptable. You've empowered me with the greater one on the inside. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I refuse to live this substandard life that brings destruction. I will rise to the occasion of royalty. I'll rise to the occasion of kingship. I'll rise to the occasion of sonship of God. I'm going to rise to the occasion. I will give evidence that I'm different. I'm not the same. I'm not the same. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old has truly passed away.